Welcome to the Redshirt Collective, a Star Trek watch-along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective. So energized with Earl Grey tea and chocolate from the replicator, set your phasers to fun, and prepare to engage. Ready, Captain? Yes, Captain. Make, Make it, it so. so. Welcome aboard. Hey, Nick. <laughs> Hey, Mike. <laughs> so, what yeah. are we what are we talking about today? I ask as if I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are talking about what is officially so far the most boring episode of Star Trek TNG, season one, episode thirteen, Angel One, the one in which Riker bangs a matriarch and the Enterprise is Ground Zero for COVID. <laughs> Wait, but did, Riker didn't actually do the deed, though, right? Didn't they keep uh, getting interrupted? I guess. I couldn't. It was so confusing what the timeline was with those two. Yeah. It's like, wait, did you bang already and got dressed and now you're talking? You're going to bang again? Or did you not bang yet? Mm, yeah. And if so, why not? What were you doing this whole time? Yeah. And so if that does not tempt you to want to listen to the rest of this episode, I'm not sure what will. With a teaser like that. <laughs> All I can say, though, is that description is so much more interesting than the episode itself was. (laughs) (laughs) So we are going to do our best to do an interesting episode, but we are working with some pretty dry material today. I mean, they cannot all be data lore. Dude, for them to put this episode after data lore is just so cruel, in my opinion. I felt a little ripped off, but, you know, again, they can't all be data lore. It's true. I, I mean, I, you can only go down from there, really. But I will say, in spite of there were a couple little gems. There were some mm-hmm. diamonds in the rough, and we will absolutely get to those today. There are always a few little nuggets of gold yep. in the shit pile, yep. and we will find those. Yep. All right. So we joined the Enterprise on a rescue mission to see if... Three missing escape pods from a destroyed freighter did indeed contain survivors that fled down to the planet called Angel One, which we learn is yet another planet that is comparable to Earth in our mid-20th century. I would argue it's comparable to late 20th century Earth because these are the most fucking late 80s people looking people I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yeah, and I love how like every class M planet is exactly like mid to late 20th century Earth. <laughs> every single one. It's like, oh, wow, what a shocking twist. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And and the, and it has like exactly the same humanoids, you know, like it's not, uh-huh. they don't even have like a tail or something interesting. They're just, they just look like regular <laughs> people, you know. Yeah, they don't even put a little wrinkle on the forehead no, or a little, nothing. you know. It's like they weren't even trying. I know. And is it just me or does it feel at this point like everyone's costumes on these planets are made from the same weird shiny material? Every single one. (laughs) Like (laughs) even even the costuming is just so same same. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, like apparently this this shiny gauzy material is like very futuristic in their minds. It was a good year for shiny fabric makers, though. (laughs) (laughs) They had a happy Christmas, you know? (laughs) Those are the boon times. Uh, I bet there's 
I bet there's old shiny fabric makers sitting around in rocking chairs telling their grandkids about <laughs> the late 80s. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So we also learned that the escape pods would have taken just over five months to get to the planet from the shipwreck, though the Enterprise is able to span the same distance in only two days. For reasons, Captain Jean-Luc Picard warns everyone that Starfleet has demanded that they maintain diplomatic relations with Angel One as a hail from the planet comes in. Because of this, Picard wants to learn more about the planet before replying, and Lieutenant Commander Data jumps in with information about their government structure, which indicates that they are a matriarchal society. Counselor Deanna Troy smiles warmly as she says it reminds her of her own planet, and Security Officer Worf intones suggestively that Klingons appreciate strong women. <laughs> what was that, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. This episode is so weird. It's so funny <laughs> when they like they attempt to like subvert like 1980s kind of like gender norms, and they try to like like establish their feminist bona fides by having Worf say something like. You know, to make the Klingon seem so interesting, and yeah, it's it's just such. This whole episode is like very girl boss feminism, you know, like <laughs> yeah. like those little things, like we appreciate some strong women, hubba hubba. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm not sure this is coming across the way you guys think it is. <laughs> I know it's like you're still just objectifying people, <laughs> like it's not doing what you think it's doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Picard suggests that Deanna make first contact as she is a women's. Deanna warmly reaches out to Beata, the elected one, head of Angel One, who is a cold ass bitch. And you know LOL. what? You know what I heard when I first was watching the episode? I heard, I am Beyonce, the elected one. <laughs> and I was like, oh! <laughs> And then I went, You're like, Star Trek predicted Beyonce. I know. I seriously, and I went back and I put on the subtitles and then I was like, oh, Beata, not Beyonce. <laughs> You're like, well, not as good. I was severely disappointed. It is disappointing. As you can imagine. I had to put on the subtitles for her name as well. I was like, what the hell did they just say? Yeah, Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, she's no Beyonce. She, she is doesn't not have the stage a Beyonce. Presence. No. Yeah. Beata agrees, albeit begrudgingly, to a very brief visit so the Enterprise team can search for survivors. When we come back from the intro, I was delighted to see that this is the episode with the famous Wesley Crusher in a silver ski outfit moment. Those ski outfits, though. Oh <laughs> my goodness. What was going on? Oh, I see that all over the place. Like People post it, that picture constantly. Even without context, it's just like everyone knows it's amazing. It doesn't even need context, yeah. No. <laughs> Commander Wilty Riker bumps into Wesley with a friend in their little ski suits as hmm. they're on their way to the Danubian Alps simulation in the holodeck. When Riker gets to the transporter room, we learn why Starfleet is so keen to have good relations with planet on their periods all the time. <laughs> Apparently, Angel One is in a strategic location <laughs> And their hopes to have them join on the Federation one day. You can't keep going like you didn't just say that. I'm like, I'm 
dying. I almost spit. I almost spit onto my computer. I oh. want you to know I pulled back so much from, from some of the stuff I was gonna say for this episode. Oh, because anyway, we'll get to the analysis, but this was just a very late 80s episode. It really was. Okay, that was really funny. (laughs) Um, Through a voiceover from Picard, we then learn that this aggressively matriarchal society represents a gender-swapped version of 20th, 20th century patriarchal Earth, including the females being larger, stronger, and occupying roles in government and military. When the away team is seated in front of Beata, she inquires why the Enterprise would be up to such a small, quote-unquote, petty task as looking for a couple of survivors. And, of course, Riker immediately puts his foot in his mouth, getting all puffed up, stating that they don't consider even one survivor petty. (laughs) Beata is offended by the implication that Riker is suggesting Angel One doesn't value life as much as Starfleet, and Deanna shoots Will at least two dirty looks as she works Uh to smooth things over, explaining that they discovered the freighter accidentally and have a duty to investigate while in the area. And uh, by Riker, you mean this man? (laughs) (laughs) As as non-Beyonce Miss Sassy Pants puts it when Riker speaks. (laughs) Yep. It was like, we really got to sell them on the reverse sexism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Strangely, Beata at... Hold on, there's like a fucking freight train outside my window. (laughs) I was so annoyed recording my podcast yesterday. I was like, it was just constant street noise. And I'm like, I can't do anything about this. Strangely, Beata asks what would happen if they found the survivors, and when Deanna states simply that they would take them back to their families, an unidentified female scoffs and questions why they should trust the crew. Riker then asks directly if there are survivors on the planet, and Beata mysteriously says she's not prepared to answer that question. I must anoint... I must note at this point that the costume design for the men is just very unfortunate. Uh, Not since the Edo have genitals been so mistreated. (laughs) That's right, the Edo. (laughs) Oh, man. The guys, like, have ribbons wrapping up around their legs and then forming kind of this, like, pouch out of their crotch. It's very weird and very not sexy. Yeah. It's supposed to be objectifying, but it's just, like, bizarre. <laughs> I know. I was like, if you're trying to objectify these dudes, it is not working. <laughs> right. I am not objectifying them. <laughs> when in their quarters, Tasha scans for listening devices and declares the room secure. Riker prompts Troy to tell them what the hell is going on. Troy said she picked up on a lot of fear in the room, but that all of the delegates that they talked to were concerned for different reasons, and that undoubtedly there are survivors on the planet. Back on the Enterprise, Picard is informing Worf that once the business has been handled on Angel One, they're going to assist in the neutral zone with the appearance of Romulan battlecruisers, when he suddenly gets hit square in the side of the face with a snowball. I forgot about this weird storyline, but here we go. Back to episodes where the B-plot is a nonsense circus. It really... I got to the end of the episode, and I was like, wait, what? Yeah, like, like why? Yeah. 
Yeah. None of that needed to happen. No. And the whole thing about the smell, like it just, anyway, it was such <laughs> a bizarre thing. But the, but the scene with, with Picard getting hit with a snowball was really funny. It was funny. Yeah. That's like a good clip to pull. Mm -hmm. It's like a good meme. Mm -hmm. A very nervous looking Wesley explains that they were frolicking after their ski lesson and the snowball just happened, to which Picard snaps on the Enterprise, Mr. Crusher, nothing just happens. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly says, what is that smell? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was very odd. (laughs) Worf says, hmm. Yes, slightly reminiscent of night-blooming throgni, Captain, from home. Quite stimulating, wouldn't you say? To which, of course, Picard barks, no. (laughs) He warns Wesley not to let this just happen again and storms off. Back down on the planet, we get a hilarious little moment of Data accidentally spraying himself in the face with perfume and then a conversation about what an aphrodisiac is. The poor slight man with tortured balls comes in to tell them Beata wants to see them. His name is Trent, by the way. We learned that later. And then Trent hilariously douses himself with the perfume after they go. I, and that, I just couldn't help but laugh the whole time because I had to call him Trent Steele. Because there's this episode of The Simpsons where Homer changes his name to Max Powers. And, <laughs> and he meets this guy who's like, I'm Trent, Trent Steele. And he's like the head of the power name group or something. And he invites Homer to be a part of it. <laughs> anyway, so anytime I hear the name Trent, I'm like, Trent Steele. Trent Steele. Power name. <laughs> well, you know, and with someone with his balls and dick all packaged up and out in the open, it's like, you got to be a Trent Steele. I know, but he, this guy was not a Trent Steele. He was a... I know. Yeah, he was his, He was not powerful. He was just... <laughs> There's a little trend. Well, he's just a man. What do he's you expect? He's just a man. Yeah. He, he can't even understand the stuff in the library on this planet. Just <laughs> far That's too right. sophisticated for the likes of him. <laughs> Beata asked the team to give their solemn word that they will remove the survivors as they said they would, and Deanna agrees. Beata also informs them that the vote was not unanimous, and there is clearly still a lot of tension in the room. She finally reveals that there are survivors on the planet, four of them, all male, and their leader is called Ramsey. Those survivors are considered fugitives by Angel One government and have eluded capture thus far. In a very confusing timeline reveal, the men have apparently been on the planet for seven years and have been leading a revolution against the oppressive matriarchal structure. I, how, how did that work? Did they ever... like what? The whole thing was so weird it was like they found this ship and then they're like oh it would take five months to get to the planet and then they're like they've been here seven years and like why is any of this happening i know yeah that <laughs> why was very are we odd. doing this i was confused anyway it was a yeah it was a confusing episode mm-hmm. deanna thinks that the enterprise uh just kidding <clears throat> <laughs> deanna thinks that using the enterprise They can likely find the men, and Beata says she hopes so, but warns Deanna that they are dangerous. We cut back to the Enterprise to find Wesley and his ski buddy sick in sickbay with what looks like a nasty cold, a respiratory ailment. Bev lets Picard know and says she's quarantined the 12 students that were on the ski trip, but still hasn't figured out how the virus is transmitted or how contagious it is, but she has ruled out person-to-person contact. (laughs) 
<laughs> Which I just okay. didn't. I guess they're saying it isn't dwarf star juice. You know, like if yeah. you just touch someone else, that's how you get it. But I it still guess. is kind of like a weird thing. It's like, how do you not know how it's transmitted, but you know that that's not how it's transmitted? Exactly. I just didn't get it. Yeah. Picard tells her to keep at it. He doesn't want the crew infected. And then we get a little hint that he is likely infected himself. Riker and Data devise a plan to find the survivors by scanning for an element that is unique to them and not otherwise found on Angel One. Riker requests access to their library, and Beata says it's too sophisticated for a man to understand. But Data assures her that though anatomically male, he's all android, baby. (laughs) (laughs) To, To which she says, an amusing notion. On Picard's command, helmsman Jordi LaForge initiates a scan of the planet for platinum, so fans, mm. from the bridge to see if they can locate the survivors. Meanwhile, there is quite a ruckus down on the planet when Deanna and Tasha discover what Riker is wearing to his meeting with Beata, a slinky little glittery light blue number. Riker is indignant, stating that it is his diplomatic duty to wear indigenous attire to meet with the head of state. He calls them out for being pissed because he's meeting with an attractive woman, and the girls are open-mouthed, hands-on-hips, personally affronted. It was weird. It was so weird. I mean, not to mention just the whole problematic element around the indigenous attire conversation, but just like... (laughs) Right. I don't know what they were actually trying to do with that scene. I think they were... (sighs) I just think they were like, bitches be crazy. You know, it's like, oh, these two girls are all tittering about and, you know, being like jealous. Yeah. Because I think that was part of it is like Deanna. They're always like hinting that Deanna might be jealous. Yeah. To keep that, you know, will they, won't they mm-hmm. kind of thing going. Mm-hmm. But it's always in this kind of way where it's not like clear that that's what they're doing. And it just comes up yeah. in this like very awkward and very unprofessional situation. Like, there's no way that both Tasha and Deanna wouldn't know that Riker, like, if this is what he does on these missions, that yeah. he's going to do that. Yeah. I think part of it, too, like, at least for Deanna, is that she knew that he was going to, like, go fuck this woman. And she's probably, like, whether or not she's jealous, she's probably like, dude, that's not professional. Right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's that, that could be. But it was I think it but, was mostly just to like But Troy but Deanna Troy and like and Tasha Yar's reactions was so <laughs> I, I was like cuz it was like if if it was actually like serious reservations about like dude you're being unprofessional and gross. Like it, then but then they were like they made it all about how silly the costume was. Yeah. But then they made it like kind of that they were like also jealous. So they thought he right. was silly but they also wanted I, I don't know. I was just like, "Wait, what is it?" Uh, well, anyway. it especially makes no sense for Deanna because at this point we know that in her culture it's like common and normal to be naked at formal ceremonies. Right. So it's like, why would she care about a shirt that has like a cut, a deep V in it? You know? Yeah. It really like wasn't that's a particularly. Really gonna cause her. It wasn't a particularly skimpy outfit. I mean. No. It was, it was ridiculous. It, yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> but it, it wasn't like he was walking around in his Speedo or something. It just, no. It was just like a weird outfit. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing was just, it was very contrived. It was like they clearly just wanted to like that's highlight. A, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, where like nothing about it was believable. Back on the Enterprise, Beverly is scanning Picard and we get confirmation that he is indeed sick. 
and in her opinion, no longer able to physically command the Enterprise. Picard, of course, explodes at this, yelling at her until he gets hit with a wave of fatigue. Mm-hmm. Hilariously, we cut to Worf and Jordy on the bridge. Worf says, I think I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> Jordy asks, a Klingon sneeze? And Worf retorts, the only kind I know. I think I may sneeze. A Klingon sneeze? Only kind I know. <laughs> Why is this episode so weird? But also chef's kiss. The, the Worf Jordy interaction in this episode was my favorite part of the entire episode. They saved the, the whole they, episode. They like did. the only good thing about this episode was Worf and Jordy interacting yeah. with each other. Yeah. Picard tells Jordy he is in command as Beverly has officially ordered him to go rest and get treatment. Yay, Jordy's in command. Jordy's in yeah. command. Jordy has a really cute moment sitting in the captain's chair with reverence and awe. And when Worf announces he's found a trace of platinum down on the planet and asks if he should alert the away team, Jordy says, make it so. <laughs> to which Worf turns around and gives him a look. And Jordy looks a little embarrassed, but also proud of himself. Worf, I will point out, sounds stuffy, so it's clear he is also infected. Mm-hmm. Deanna and Tasha tease Riker about his outfit when he comes out with one nipple and most of his chest on full display. He says it's quite comfortable and stress off to his meeting with Beata. Beata immediately tells him how handsome he looks, not profesh. He gives her an update on the search and says that they found a lead. Ariel, who is the suspicious woman from before, pops up declaring her disbelief and saying she still doesn't trust them, which just like at this point makes no sense why she's saying that. Yeah. She makes a little speech and then storms off and something is definitely up with her. Beata approves the search and then makes a very hashtag me too pass at Riker, which he of course eats up because Mm -hmm. he's Riker. Mm Mm-hmm. And he informs the girls to not wait up for him. <laughs> Tasha, Data, and Deanna beam to the location where found and immediately encounter Ramsey, a MacGyver knockoff looking dude. <gasps> Nick! <laughs> you stole my line! Oh, I know! <laughs> I mean, but of course, because he just looked like MacGyver. I literally wrote in my note. it's right there in my notes, it says, MacGyver, is that you? <laughs> We, that is Did synergy. you IMDb it? Maybe it was him. That is synergy right there. It was not Richard Dean Anderson. I checked the credits. Um, All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he limited his sci-fi time to Stargate SG-1. Mm, um, yes. You know, it, it, he never yeah. crossed over into the Star Trek universe. But you can't cross streams. No, but you, know this. <laughs> you don't cross the streams. <laughs> Wow, we've got MacGyver, <laughs> SG-1, and Ghostbusters all in like a one-minute span of this podcast. This is episode 13. We're professionals by now, baby. Oh, it might as well be episode 113. I mean, <laughs> I we know. are firing on all four warp cores right now. <laughs> well, this episode sucks, so we have to bring our A-game <laughs> right. to make it entertaining. That's right, that's right. So MacGyver greets them affably and says he's been expecting them. (laughs) Picard, very clearly ill, hails the bridge from his room and asks for a status update. And we get an amazing immediate cut to Worf sneezing. I had the subtitles on and it actually said Klingon sneeze. Yeah, that was great. Which was incredible. Yeah. 
She already tells Picard that Dr. Crusher has turned the holodeck into an isolation ward to try to deal with the virus and that there is no update from the away team. Picard crawls into his bed in his uniform again like and usual. tells <laughs> I know he loves being in bed in his uniform <laughs> and tells Jordy that he's in charge until Riker returns. Jordy finally sends Worf to sick bay and before he goes they have a very adorable moment when Jordy's about to run off to engineering to fix an issue and Worf gently reminds him that he should delegate that task while he's in command of the ship before mm-hmm. miserably stumbling onto the turbo lift and sneezing violently yet again. Mm-hmm. I, I I love that moment. There was like, yeah, we'll talk it about it. It was really cute. We'll talk about it. It was, it was really, yeah. I love when they, this is what I love about TNG. Like this is why I love the show so much is those little moments, mm-hmm. which I find are so missing from newer Star Trek series. Mm. But anyway, mm. <clears throat> Down on the planet, Ramsey balks at the word rescue, informing that the away team that he and the other survivors now consider Angel One home, as most have taken wives and have children there. In her bedchambers, Beata reveals to Riker that they were secretive about the survivors at first because they were concerned that the Enterprise was there to fuel their anarchist struggle. They start making out, and poor little Trent walks in on them, delivering a gift for Beata from the Enterprise, and looks crushed when Beata tells him to go. And her and Riker get back to knocking boots. Or not. Or whatever it was. (laughs) Whatever it was they were doing in there. (laughs) Right? It's very unclear. Ramsey is telling the away team that the men were stoked when they first landed on the planet because the women were hot, but then after we realized they, they, oh my god, I ruined it. Ramsey is telling the away team that the men were stoked when they first landed on the planet because the women were hot, but then after a while they realize they're also bitches. However, he refuses to leave, saying that they like it there and they intend to stay. Data confirms that Ramsey is correct. They can't force him to go, as the freighter they were on is not a starship and not bound by Starfleet laws or the Prime Directive. On the Enterprise, Beverly informs Geordi that they now have more sick than they have beds. We find out that the virus mutates every 20 minutes, making it extremely difficult to develop a vaccine. In a move I literally cannot wrap my head around, Geordi tells the away team to get back on the ship as soon as possible because there's a medical emergency. So, like, come uh, get sick. Yeah, that's, that's a strange one. <laughs> yeah, he tells them one third of the crew is down. And there are more Romulan vessels showing up at the edge of the neutral zone. But also, like, the Enterprise is supposed to get there, but it's not even a warship. So I, that's the other thing that I'm like, how is, how is the Enterprise really supposed to act that much as a deterrent? You know what I mean? I, get, I guess they're trying to, like, you know, tease the whole Romulan tensions. Yeah, yeah. And add, add like, a pressing, you know, a pressing time issue. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just, it's also contrived. Mm-hmm. It's like, why why is the Enterprise going to be the one that makes or breaks this like battle exactly. that they think might happen? Yep. Tasha asks Ramsey before they leave why he said he was expecting them, to which he mysteriously says, I can't answer that. With that, the away time beams away, and once again, and once gone, Ariel pops out and hugs Ramsey. Gasp! <gasps> they're a couple. 
Riker and Beata have the most 1990s conversation I've ever heard and still rolling around on her bed when Trent and the away team come barreling into her room. Tasha and Deanna look a little shocked to see Riker there, which is weird because it's like, that's what we all knew was going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why are you so surprised? Mm-hmm. But still. Um, also, why are you all barreling into her bedroom? Like, why would you tell her, you know, like have her come out into the other the open area yeah that was like a revolving door i mean yeah, it's, it's like, very weird i'd prefer to have like something between my bed and like the main corridor that everybody's coming <laughs> in through trent informs her that the away team has returned without the survivors tasha explains the situation to Riker and biata and biata then dramatically sentences the survivors to death gasp i, I know I, I love your gasps because it's like none of the things that I was supposed to be shocked by in this episode were actually like in any way interesting or shocking. (laughs) There's a sexy moment on the enterprise when Bev plays doctor to a shirtless, sweaty bedridden Picard. Mm -hmm. She smells something Klingon on Picard. Picard tells her that he and Worf smelled it when they bumped into West at the holodeck. This makes Bev realize that the virus is airborne. What? This. And she runs off to create a vaccine. Never mind the fact that she doesn't contract it, even though she's smelling the smell that everybody who got sick smelled. I was like, I thought she was going to get sick too. I know. It just made no sense to me. I know. As you said, this plot line was, it's like, and they never wrap up the plot line either. No. 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 Data updates Riker on the medical and Romulan situations, and Riker says it's time for them to go, but Deanna is not okay with leaving the survivors to be executed. Riker makes a good point that they don't know where the survivors are and haven't been able to find them in seven years, so, you know, it's unlikely that they would actually be able to track them down. But then Deanna gets a bad feeling, and moments later, Beata comes in with the survivors trailing behind her. Beata found them by having someone follow Ariel. Riker approaches Beata and asks to meet with Ramsey one last time to try to convince him and the others to leave with them instead of being executed. Ramsey, of course, refuses to go because noble reasons, and Riker decides to risk court-martial by forcibly being, beaming them onto the Enterprise. What the heck? And, and also, like, they're, like <laughs> Ramsey was doing nothing noble at all whatsoever. Like... No. Like, I was like, what? You're, you're not doing any, like, no one is going to be helped by the fact that you're going to die. So, like, right. why am I supposed to care? Ramsey is just stupid MacGyver at that point. <laughs> right. It's not even a good MacGyver. Not even a real thought. MacGyver. Just, like, <laughs> alternate world stupid MacGyver. <sighs> uh, <laughs> Dr. Crusher answers Riker's hail and says she can't allow anyone to beam up because the virus is so out of control. Riker sends Data up by himself, since he should be immune to the virus, to get the ship to the neutral zone to help with the Romulan situation, leaving the away team and the survivors stuck on Angel One. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how much later, but at some time later, Data hails Riker and explains to Riker, who's very pissed that he's still there, that he calculated that the Enterprise can stay at Angel One for another 48 up. 47 minutes before it absolutely has to leave for the neutral zone, giving the away team a tiny bit of time to figure out the survivor situation. And 
to his credit, for once in this entire episode, Riker <laughs> thanks Data for so precisely following orders, which is kind of yes. cute. Yes, it was kind of cute. Mm-hmm. We appreciate people appreciating Data. Yeah, even if it's Riker who's just being otherwise just kind of <laughs> kind of a goofball in this episode. And it's small, but I, I liked it as a moment to show that Data, like, does think for himself and does have problem solving skills and is invested Mm -hmm. you know like in his mind like he could have just left but he knew that the situation was precarious and he like cared about the survivors and so he figured out a way you know to give them a little bit more time i just like that it it was subtle but i i like that it shows that data has that kind of autonomy and that he like does care about these situations and it wasn't and and to add to that point it wasn't just data I feel like the the diffuse nature of the power structure on the ship, like you saw Jordy and Worf, like kind of give each other sort of a nod, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, hey, we're in charge now, you know, remember. And like everybody just, everybody stepped up when it was time to step up and made decisions when it was time to make decisions. And you didn't, like, one of the things I love about Star Trek is you don't get like the one character who's always the screw up, you know, mm-hmm. or like who's just there for laughs or whatever. It's like, everybody has their strengths and they come out at different times and they rise to these challenges. And and I thought that was really cool. The away team joins the execution, which will happen via toaster oven. <laughs> Riker <laughs> makes a Hail Mary pass by stating that it isn't revolution, but evolution. Ugh, it feels like, like a t-shirt or something like not every evolution revolution man it's evolution it's like whoa that's deep he sounded like a a sixth a sixth grade debate bro <laughs> <I know. laughs> like 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 he like he felt like he made this really good point <laughs> it was really just kind of like well and according okay. to her he did but i was like i don't really understand what i mean i i understand he was getting at so basically riker is saying that there were already tensions brewing on the planet mm-hmm. And that the survivors, you know, kind of became figureheads for those tensions, but they didn't create them. I, I know, I'm just, I, I'm just not a fan of this trope. That me the, neither. The idea that like you can give this really like impassioned, strongly worded speech, and it's all of a sudden going to overcome, you know, like socialization and cultural norms and you know history and government structures. Because a white guy from you know from a, from the space colonizers gave you an impassioned speech, it's just yeah. all very, I don't know. It's just all very tired. Weak. Yeah, and it's and it's just not like Star Trek is so much better than that. Like it's usually they they have like really good compelling reasons for things. Well, I mean, usually they actually don't because they kind of fall back on this trope a lot but <laughs> but like potentially they should have really good better reasons for this in theory they should yeah well and i just thought it was kind of interesting too that in an episode about a matriarchal planet they didn't have like deanna have a big moment right. at the end and be the one to save the day it was still like it was still she's just Riker. like standing in a corner doing nothing and it would i mean you're right she's a fucking like She's uh, like diplomatically trained yeah. and an empath. Yeah. And she's, and a woman, and she's not the one to like say something. It just was very annoying to me. Especially when you consider the episode starts off looking like that, you know, Picard's like, oh, hey, you know, maybe you should make contact. And 
is like, oh, maybe we're going to get to see a little bit of Deanna. Nope, we're not. No. <laughs> yeah, it was like the writing team was like, wow, we let her talk once. Mm-hmm. Feminism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, yeah, this whole episode. Yeah. And Deanna's from a matriarchal planet. So it's right. like she would have a better understanding and she could have talked to her of like, hey, you know, <sighs> we have a similar government structure, but we this is how we... Like, have better equality, or I'm assuming they do. I don't know much about the planet, but it seems like, you know, they're not ones to oppress anybody. So it's like she could have been like, hey, I know it's scary, but, like, it's possible that you can have this, you know, work in a different way. I just just felt like that, like, literally all, like, signs pointed to Deanna. Yep. (laughs) And they were like, nope, Raker. Yep, yep. (laughs) So. Anyway. So, Toaster. <laughs> Riker gives this impassioned speech and basically says that by killing the survivors, that it will likely just make them martyrs and increase the, you know, resistance. Uh, Beata doesn't give a fuck initially and sends Ramsay off to the toaster oven. As Trent is about to rub the crystal orb that will set Ramsay to broil, Ariel uses Beata's name... <laughs> She just says, Beata. And for some reason, that makes her call a pause to the execution to consider Riker's words. With 17 minutes left on the clock, Dr. Crusher has the inoculate. Riker tells Data to prepare to beam up all the survivors at his order, but to wait. So he's basically going to beam everyone out of there before anyone can get executed. But Beata comes out and announces that she won't kill the survivors, but she is ordering them to be separated from their families and exiled to a harsh area of the planet, so they get to die slowly and painfully, missing their families instead of quickly and painlessly? Cool. Great solution. Awesome ending. Wait, did I miss some... Did I misunderstand that? I, I, thought they, I thought they were exiled with their families. I thought they were separated. Oh, okay. All right. Because I think she said, like, the these people have to stay here. Mm. I could be wrong. Okay. I only watched this once. I could not put myself through it twice. No. We can just watch the last 47 <laughs> seconds. I guess and... either way. I mean, honestly, in a way, it would be worse if they were with their families. Because yeah. then it sounds like they're odds of surviving in this area are not great. Right, yeah, so living like in exile. Have, yeah, children on top of that. But either way, I was just like, how is this a good ending? Right, <laughs> right. this episode is like horrible. Yeah. Uh, the team gets inoculated on their way back onto the Enterprise and Picard is back in command with a flog in his float. The episode <laughs> ends and we go from Angel 1 to Angel, thank God it's done. <laughs> so michael yeah uh word on the street is that you have some dad jokes for us oh are we are we going to dad jokes right now yeah are you ready okay look it's not going to be as good as last time i'm just telling (laughs) everybody right now keep your expectations low i i went with the low-hanging fruit on i have two i went with the low-hanging fruit on the first one uh So, Nick, um, why did Bev develop an inoculant so quickly? Oh, God, why? Oh, uh, she was afraid that if she didn't, the disease would crush her. <laughs> That's amazing. 
I, I don't but it's so bad because like the crusher joke is I, I mean Yeah, but it's it's right there. It's just too good. I know. It's an it's kind of an easy one. Okay, I got a second one for dad jokes. All right. So I gotta tell you, I have no idea what was going on with Wes and the other kids on that ski trip. That storyline was lost in a flurry of plot lines unfolding throughout the episode. <laughs> You're canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, don't be flaky. Oh my god. <laughs> no. Oh my god. <laughs> those aren't uh, even those aren't even really dad jokes. They're just really horrible puns. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, when in doubt, at your worst, when the chips are down, reach for a pun. It's mm-hmm. gonna it's gonna get you there every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you, Michael. I tried to come up with a joke and I just did not have time or creative energy. Oh, I understand. Um, I wanted something that the punchline was, you beata believe it, but I couldn't <laughs> think of. <laughs> I couldn't think of a setup for it. That's pretty, that's pretty good already. I mean. So I gave you half a joke. I gave you the important part of a joke. You gave us the punchline. Punch yeah. Plus you gave us the toaster. Yes. <laughs> the space toaster. I gave you a toaster oven and a punchline. Yeah. You're welcome. And one of the best lines in recap history. Wait, I have to find it. Oh, yeah. As Trent is about to rub the crystal orb that will set Ramsey to broil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, okay, wow. <sighs> wow. I'm glad that you're sharing this talent with the world because everyone needs to Thank hear you. these. <laughs> I try to use my skills for good, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> so, uh, honestly, end of episode. I have nothing more to say. <laughs> this episode was so boring. Um, to me, I don't know if you got this vibe, but it felt very much like a like a bad episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> An episode about where it nothing. Where was like, what if there were women who were in charge? <laughs> and, it, you know, it was just like... yeah. It was just like, oh, wow, like, what if it was just exactly the opposite? And I couldn't help but feel that there was this, like, I don't know what they were actually going for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I think that was my biggest problem with this episode is that there was yes. no point yes. to this society, right? And then it did feel like, oh, look at, like, whoever's in charge, mm-hmm. they're always bad, which I guess is kind of a point, but it's like matriarchal societies historically just have not been run that way. So it also felt like, again, they're just kind of like theorizing about something that they could have actually researched mm-hmm. and seen that like that is the, I know that I guess was not their point, but it just it was just very frustrating to me that like that is how people, you know, say like reverse sexism, reverse racism. Like they yes. think it's just a one to one and it's like, but it's not though. Yeah. Like that's not how it works. But anyway, but you, that's, I think you just said exactly the number one problem with this episode, which is there, there was no point except what if we just flipped the scenario and that that's so, it's so uninteresting because it's like, that's assuming that if women were in that position that they would do all the exact same things as men and they they just they they dealt with it so clumsily i mean there are 
funny ways to do that. Um, what's that? There's this French film on Netflix. Shoot, what's the name of it? Where this guy like wakes up and it's just like in an alternate world where it's exactly flipped. The gender dynamic is completely flipped. Um, oh, I don't think I've seen that. Is it good? Yeah, it's really funny. Um, and it, you know, like, it, but it's meant to just be like, let's just flip this around and make it funny. But this, it like seemed like they were trying to make a point so hard and they felt like mm -hmm. it felt like they were so proud of themselves for this. But like, <laughs> yes. I, I actually wrote this note to myself that I was like, um, is the point here that if an alien species were to visit earth in the mid 20th century, they would be shocked at how women were treated and would seek to overturn that arrangement. Cause that's not really an interesting point. Like, right. Like it, it, you don't need sci-fi to imagine how fucked up sexism is. Y you know what right. I mean? It's like, it's like, we, yeah. we already know that already exists. So we don't need sci-fi. Well, and to the show, that. the show itself has already commented on that through letting us know that that is not like even, humans realize that right you know like we're in a we're apparently in a post-sexist world where they even themselves will say oh yeah that was bad and even in the intro we're saying oh it's comparable to like what we had back then so it's like yeah so to comment that another species would see it mm -hmm. and be like oh that's bad is like well you already just said that that's not right <laughs> you're not telling us anything you're not new. making a point here and I had, there are so many ways that they could have, I just think the premise itself just sucks, but it's like, okay, if you're going to do it, like part of the point could have been to have Riker be treated in this way and to have him realize it doesn't feel very good and that maybe right. he needs to adjust how he interacts with females. Instead, we get the opposite though. Yeah. Riker's like, like, like oh, she hubba, was hubba. sexually harassing, like she was sexually the power dynamics were kind of weird, mm -hmm. you know, and like mm -hmm. the pass that she made at him was very inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And instead of being like, oh, Riker will just fuck anybody. Ha ha. Yep. Like, I, I, I guess what bothered me was that it was almost like Riker was such a stud that he... He was impervious to... Yeah, he didn't lose any power, even in yeah. a dynamic where he is stated to structurally not have power. Right. And, and instead, like, instead of feeling harassed, instead of feeling how inappropriate it is, and then maybe having to, like, look at his own behavior. It's kind of chuckle, It was chuckle. a turn on. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was like he was super into it. Yep. He was, like, down to fuck. And she was being condescending to him, and he just never even seemed to pick up on it. Or, yeah. like, I mean, like, he picked up on it, but, like, it just never seemed to care. Yeah. That she clearly, like, didn't respect him. Well, and we're and and on top of that, we're supposed to be living in this hypothetically post-sexist society. But the ship's captain is a man. The first officer is a man. The chief of engineering is a man. You know, it's it's kind of like the whole like you know post-racial society or whatever that they you know kind of try to have too. When it's like it was not lost on me at that point when when Worf and LaForge, who are the two people of color on the bridge you know, like, mm -hmm. like are, are finally in charge, you know? Yeah. And I felt like there was, I don't know, maybe this is just me reading into it too much, but I felt like, like Worf was acknowledging that to Jordy, like, 
that's i mean whether that was written mm-hmm. or whether the actors added that subtext yeah i do i did also feel that way i did feel like this was two black men yeah you know having a moment as black men yeah being like hey this this is like you know this is a moment yeah that you're being given power that we don't often have yeah and supporting that you know mm-hmm. it was like a very supportive moment which was really cool to see because that we get that more in later seasons of you know these act these two actors having a bit more to do with each other but Mm -hmm. that's my biggest critique of most media that has like one or two token characters of color Mm -hmm. um i think particularly with black people they just so infrequently have community around that person yeah which for most black people is an intrinsic part of their experience. You know, you're not often just like floating around by yourself in the world. Like you have family, you have friends, you have people you can connect and talk to. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to me, like how often they'll even have two black characters on a show who just like don't talk to each other in any significant kind of way. Yeah. It's kind of like the Bechdel test, but for like race, you know, I think you could apply that as well. Like, do these characters get to have a relationship that is in some way influenced by their shared identity mm-hmm. and that isn't hinged upon their relationship to the, like the white people around them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, I think it was very cool that we got this little moment of them just kind of being like, you know, like, I don't know, like you're in command of the ship. That's pretty cool. And like, yeah. Remember, you know, I you've felt, been elevated. And and I guess I guess it's a shame that they can't also do that with recognizing women. You know, it's so much even like when the, <clears throat> when the women are in charge like on this matriarchal society, it's you know, it's either we get um uh Diana's mom who's kind of like mm-hmm. sort of like sexualized and sort of, you know, which again, we said in the context of that episode, if you want to go back and listen to it, you know, we were like, yeah, we kind of liked her, but in the same way, it was like in this kind of like sexy kind of way, or we get in the way of like this, you know, domineering, we're going to kill anybody who tries to subvert the order, matriarchal society. It's kind of like, well, then we don't ever have women authentically in positions of power um, right. in the show. And yeah. And then when Riker's put in that, you know, finally a, a, a male character is put in that position. He just is kind of like, oh, sex, <laughs> you know? And so it's kind of like, I feel like, I feel like yeah. any point they were trying to make, they just unmade it with all the Riker parts. Well, and that's the thing is like, you literally did just undermine that this matriarchal society could even happen because you're having a male come in and dominate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. like people want to be like, oh, it's just reverse sexism. And it's like, but there's a reason. There's a reason that like misogyny happens. There's a reason that power imbalance is there. And that's part of it is just that like men don't feel threatened right. in, in the same way. And, you know, the physicality and everything. And I know they tried to explain that by saying that the men are smaller on this planet. So I guess <laughs> Riker being you know, a full-size male, like, maybe, but but that's the point, is, like, even if they had one tall dude, like, one guy who was, because we have that with women. Yeah, you got, like, strong, tall women. 
yeah, women are smaller in general, but there's a, there's plenty of women who aren't, you know, yep. who are tall and are very strong and whatever. So it's like, even right there, the second you get a guy who has any physical, like, capabilities is just going to dominate. And Riker proved that. Yeah. And so it's like, I can't even buy into this this ridiculous premise because you're disproving it with this character. That's the point. Yeah, I never I never believed it for a second because no. Riker didn't believe it. No. And it, honestly, it wouldn't have been that hard. I think, like, remember how harrowing the last episode was? Like, we were talking about how genuinely scary Lore was. Yes. And, like, his threat to, like, burn Wesley alive was, like, genuinely <laughs> yes. just, like, frightening and grim. Like, they could have made it really scary for Riker yeah. when he arrived on the planet. Like, have him get roughed up by the security people or, like, immediately put in a compromised position where he totally is out of control and out of his element and is really uncomfortable with being in the chambers of this. Like, that would not... You could have the exact same episode, but just add in those elements or slightly alter those scenes instead of just making it like, oh, Riker's going to have sex with this hottie, you know? Right. Like you could put, um, you could even create a, like a Wesley in the justice episode situation where right. he, you know, breaks some law that he's not aware of and yeah, like gets sequestered and then yep. they can't get him out. Um, or even just like having him not be allowed to be in Beata's council room yeah. or whatever it was called, you know, just like have him just like not be listened to, have him be punished for speaking up or mm -hmm. saying an idea like they they did a little bit of that, but they didn't stick to it. And at the end of the day, he is the one that got her ear. He is the one who saved the day. Mm -hmm. And he was never he never felt like he kind of thought her sexism was funny like, he yes. just was never bothered by it. He was never yeah. experiencing the systemic oppression. It was just, like, a joke. Like, yeah. oh, I'm, you know, I'm this dude, and, like, I have all this power, and, like, oh, it's cute. You think you can talk to me this way? Whatever. Let's fuck. <laughs> it's just, like, not something I can take seriously. Yep. And also, it's just, like, weak writing in terms of you're disproving your own premise. And and you, I think you just made the the key point there, which is that there any analysis that they attempted to do here of sexism was not systemic. So by doing Correct. the gender yeah. the gender bender episode or whatever you want to call it, they they had no analysis of the systemic nature of that and how that would impact every single fucking experience from walking down a hallway to mm -hmm. taking transportation to interacting with somebody in power. And it had none of that for Riker. And and I think that that was, I think that's where the, the whole, this whole episode just fell so flat. Um, like, honestly, there shouldn't have been a dude involved. Right. It, if they were going to go this way. Like, it should have just been, like, Deanna and Tasha. Yeah. Who were sent to have, and then, like, have the philosophical conversation you want to have with them. Yep. You know, like, oh, you have to share power with men, you know? Yeah. Instead, and then they can talk about why they think that that's good, Yeah, actually. Instead, they just stand there giggling at Riker's nipple. Hey, y'all. Editor Nick here. As I was editing this episode, I realized that there was something that I 
didn't really think of until listening back to our conversation that I think is a pretty important thing to point out, which is that Tasha really should have had a much more significant role in this episode as someone who's the victim of sexualized patriarchal violence. I think it would have been very interesting to use her background for once to not sexualize her, but to actually give her some kind of political standing in the episode. I think it could have been interesting, perhaps, for instance, for her and Deanna to go down to the planet together and for Tasha maybe to be supportive of this matriarchal society because of her trauma or probably even more interesting would be for her to be against this matriarchal society because of her past trauma, her being able to draw the parallels between the two and to be able to see and acknowledge that, you know, power imbalances, sexualization of one part of the population, etc. are, you know, just the same, they all lead to the same place, you know, and a place that she has experienced a lot of hardship and suffering and would be be able to call that out. So I just wanted to make that point because (laughs) this episode is so boring. I didn't have my usual. Also, I had to do these notes pretty quickly. Um, There's a quick turnaround time on this one. So I didn't think as deeply about it as I normally would. And I do think that in an episode, you know, that is dealing with these things, this would have been the perfect time to use Tasha much better than she had been used in, you know, any other episode to actually have her own perspective and be able to bring her own experiences to the forefront to have some kind of opinion about the situation. And I think conversations between her and Deanna, I think conversations between her and Beata or perhaps someone else, you know, in the government could have been really, really interesting and really enlightening and could have added a lot of density, I guess, you know, added something meaty to this episode that just was a whole lot of nothing. All right, back to the episode. (sighs) Yeah, all the women were infantilized in this. They were either infantilized or they were made to be just, like, bitchy. Like, this this is a guy's idea of what, like a woman-run society would be like is like oh we're just horny bitches you know yeah yeah (laughs) we're just mad and cold and uh irrational and we just want to fuck and it was interesting to me too that the survivors even well ramsey was like oh like everyone comments that when they land on the planet it's like all these beautiful women Mm mm-hmm so even in that, they're being objectified. I know. Ramsey's like, oh, we were so happy. Right. Which is a sign of like, that is part of systemic oppression. Yeah. Is that objectification. So even in how the planet is like introduced to us and, and how we're supposed to view it through the character's eyes is still like, oh, if women were in charge on a planet, they'd be hot. <laughs> It's, it's so Do you know what I mean? It's because every time that it's like every every meeting about a new episode, they're like, okay, but guys, when they get there, <laughs> the women are really hot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> idea. 
whoa, how'd you think of that, man? Yeah. Yeah, it just was weird. And it was almost like they were acting like there were more women. Because even mm-hmm. MacGyver said that. He was like, oh, we thought we la- like landed in heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's all these women. And it's like, well, why would there be more women? Right. Like, we don't have more men. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it would still be half and half. And why would the women be hotter? Yeah. Like, there's nothing about the patriarchy that makes men hotter. It makes maybe us perceive them as hard, hotter, but it's not like the patriarchy actually makes, like genetically somehow makes men more attractive in general. What? So it's like, yeah. they, they just have this weird thing of like, oh yeah, if you landed on a matriarchal planet, the bitches would be smoking hot, you know? And so uncreative in terms of like the, the definition of hotness would be yeah. so you know, would be so different. It would be so subverted and it would be a chance to really like look at our socialization into, into beauty standards. I mean, even on planet earth in different cultures in different times in history, there's been a a beauty value placed on different things. So this Mm -hmm. idea that like, you know, you're going to go to this other class M planet and you're just going to find people whose definition of hotness is exactly like 1988 earth. You know, it's just so silly too. Right. Like if we're going to do that, then I want to see a planet of like bodybuilders. I want to see like something that would not be considered mainstream, conventionally attractive. I want to see a challenge to what we think. But yeah, I mean, like how none of it was there. (laughs) How hot would it be in... And I mean this in like a non-hetero way. Like, how hot would it be to be like a planet of like really androgynous looking, looking people with people with no gender identity at all, or or a planet mm-hmm. that just completely subverted that whole narrative? And it's like you have the Enterprise people trying to figure it out, and you know, like, oh well, well, how do we, how do you know what gender people are? And they're like, what's gender, you know? And then, right. and then all of a sudden Starfleet is so backwards because they're forced into this gender binary and they're realizing, oh wow, the universe is this big place where, you know, which I know we've said that before, but it would just be a really cool thing to explore. Yeah. And instead we're always like in cis heteroville, just <laughs> like doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. Even, even if we're going to go with this premise, then like, how do they handle childbirth and pregnancy and child rearing? Sure. Yeah. Because that's one of the biggest ways that the patriarchy is able to be the patriarchy mm-hmm. is that people with uteruses have this very distinct kind of vulnerability mm-hmm. in that you just ate life, you know, mm-hmm. and it makes you it makes you vulnerable in certain ways, like in a systemic way. And it you know, some people speculate that it is the cause of gender oppression because the ability to control reproduction is pretty key to to most you know governments most systems of oppression like reproduction is a pretty key issue and it's much easier to control reproduction through the people who gestate than the people who impregnate Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so to to not even address that at all on this planet is just shows how much they were not doing any kind of serious analysis here. Yeah. 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 Or not even serious. They weren't even doing like a baseline, like philosophy one one analysis. No, it was, it was just quite literally. What if, what if it was the other way around? Yeah. Yeah. It's the assumption that everything, if, if it was, if there was a reversal, 
everything would have developed, if there's a power reversal, everything would have developed exactly the same, except for except for who is in charge of the government. Yeah, because in my eyes, it's a way to kind of say, it's almost like a like a way to dismiss responsibility in the power structure mm-hmm. because you're kind of it's kind of a way to be like well look anyone who had power would be the same mm-hmm. and it's like no yeah yep. <laughs> like racism was like a created construct it was a created power structure for a reason right. like it's not something that was happened upon there's there's reasons that it developed the way it did mm-hmm. and the people who participate in it are not just people who like are the same as everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just say like, oh, well, anyone who, like, however it developed, like, anyone would be the same way. So, because it almost undermines the fact that it's so bad. Mm-hmm. It makes it seem like it's just this natural thing that happens. You know? It's like, oh, of course, on any planet, you're just going to have these power structures and the people participating in them who benefit from it are just doing what they think is natural. Yeah, And it's just this way to kind of like, it's kind of like to say that these things don't matter or that they are natural without like coming out and saying it. Right. Almost like an, it's almost like an apologetic for how things are now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Well, and, and they even, there's a line in it where they talk about Ramsey and his crew subverting the natural order, you know, as, as if, again, as if, like you said, as if, as if all things being equal Every, the, that the matriarchs in charge would have the same take. You know, this mm-hmm. is the natural order. Yeah. <sighs> I just think reversing without an analysis is just really offensive and harmful. Like, I'm reading a, a series right now that I highly recommend. Um, the first book's called Ancillary Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like the Ancillary series. But it's this fascinating series uh, that's basically like from a very trans perspective Hmm. and it's a sci-fi series and basically you have the main character is a ship (laughs) and is also like thousands of people Mm -hmm. so she's like this AI that has been embedded into a ship and also thousands of ancillaries and the the like lead emperor like kind of evil imperialist emperor person is a black person who has a bunch of clones of herself and it's just very well known that this kind of empire is made up like most of the citizens if not all of them are always said to have like brown or black skin mm-hmm. So she, they don't talk about race directly in the book. But my point here is that, you know, I was kind of chewing on this. Like, why was this choice made? Because it seems obviously very deliberate. And my thought is that it's kind of a critique on, like, neoliberalism hmm. and the way that we can get to a point where you start to see that people who we would typically identify as oppressed buy into that i would still say they're probably oppressed but they buy into these oppressive systems to gain access to power Hmm. right and you could get to a future where if you start because this planet also like doesn't have gender their language is gender neutral and it seems like everyone's pretty queer and very like non-binary 
And I think it's a critique on how if you aren't getting at the root cause, if you're not getting at the root of uh, like colonization and imperialism, if you're still allowing that to be the bedrock of your civilization, then you can have all these like social things look very progressive, Mm. but it's still going to be bad. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. I think that's an interesting analysis. I think that's an interesting thing to show. Here, we didn't get that. (laughs) We didn't didn't get any of that. But my point is, like, if you're going to do this kind of reversal thing, or if you're going to do, like, oh, I'm showing the people in power are people who we don't typically see in power, there has to be more to it. There, You can't just put someone up there. There has to be some, at least, subtext. Mm -hmm. And for me, like in this book, I think that is the subtext. Mm-hmm. They're showing that this 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 civilization that is literally colonizing the fucking galaxy, they're just eating everyone up and taking everything over and are just, you know, shown to be like very bad mm-hmm. and in a very bad imperialist force in the book have also done all these things that we see in, you know, like the Democratic Party nowadays right. where it's like fucking kamala harris putting she her pronouns in her profiles you know um and it shows that like if you're if you're just making these symbolic gestures and you're just kind of doing this stuff you can have a planet that looks like it would be an sjw wonderland Mm -hmm. but it's still just this horrible imperial force Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day like you still have those mechanisms for power and consumption and colonization so it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter if you have like a cishet patriarchy or if you have like a very queer open non-gendered planet if you're still taking over other people and having these structures in place then it's still bad yep yeah and it, it just goes back to the systemic aspects that they just once again didn't don't touch on And I feel like because that's the stuff people don't want to talk about. Anytime you get into any kind of anti-oppression work, people are more than happy to have you talk about unconscious bias or belonging or, you know, like, like things that sound kind of nice and easy. But once you start talking about systemic racism and, you know, the systematic oppression, systematic gender based oppression and violence, then all of a sudden people are like, whoa, 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 let's not get all radical here. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> if we don't want to get all radical here, then we, it means that we don't want to actually address the roots of the problem. You just want, like you said, you just want to slap some pronouns on your profile, put a pride flag mm-hmm. on your, you know, on your background and call it a day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Put pronouns on your uh, drone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put a rainbow on the bombs that you're dropping on someone and have that be that. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I just found this episode, like, offensive, but, like, too boring for me to get too worked up about it. It's funny, like, (laughs) I'm having more thoughts now talking to you than I even had in the episode, just because the episode was so so uninteresting. Me too, because I watched it and I was like, I I feel nothing, I think nothing. Yeah. (laughs) But now talking to you, I'm like, oh, I do have some thoughts. But there were some words of wisdom. Were there? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Give me your words of wisdom. I had like really nothing from this. 
all I had, all I had it from the Wharf Jordy Exchange, and <laughs> maybe you even want to put that in there. Um, mm-hmm. Where Wharf says there are people to do that now, and as Wharf is leaving the bridge, Jordy says, "Wharf, thanks for the advice." Keep your advised. You have the bridge until Commander Riker returns. Engineering reports, computer mail. I'm sorry. I'm getting sick. I'm sure half the ship knows that by now. Report to sick bay, Lieutenant. Engineering to bridge. LaForge here. The computer won't accept the variant climate controls. On my way. With all respect, Lieutenant, there are people to do that job now. LaForge to engineering. Lieutenant Wong knows that system. I'm sure she'll be able to resolve all problems. Worf? Thanks for the advice. And it's like just so authentic. And I was like, that's good words of wisdom, you know, in a very Star Trek, as we spoke about earlier in the recap, the good things of Star Trek that keep us coming back, the idea of, you know, people helping each other out and sharing moments and that kind of connectivity. Words of wisdom. I loved it. I just had an amusing notion. Which is what, again, Beata said to about Data being a male android. Yeah. Yeah. That, that could... <laughs> like, that could, like, practically be an episode, an episode rating. Well, it was an amusing notion. <laughs> it was... It's my second choice for an episode rating. Did you have an episode rating? I do. Do you have one? I have one, yeah. Okay. Uh, mine is Klingon sneeze. (laughs) That's how I feel about it. (laughs) No offense to Klingons. No, I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's it's really a sneeze-worthy episode. (laughs) Uh, Well, sticking with the same theme, mine was from, um, from Bev Crusher. It looks bad. It tastes worse. (laughs) Dude, that is... Perfect. The, the end of that it. Is, the end of it is, but is guaranteed to make you feel better. So I thought that's kind of like no. that's kind of my take, maybe on season one, <laughs> <You know? laughs> for like many times. Like it looks bad, tastes even worse, but it's guaranteed to make you feel better but, at some point. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, this was just it was not a great episode. It the thing is, it wasn't. Now I'm like kind of looking at it more negatively, but like it wasn't also just like an awful, awful episode. I wasn't just like from start to finish like, oh, this is so offensive and so problematic. But like on on further reflection now, I'm kind of like, actually it kind of was a bad episode, but that wasn't what I was thinking when I was watching it. I was just kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm having the same kind of realization of like oh this was really bad it was just subtly bad like more subtly bad but like you said it was just legitimately bad in the the b plot like they're yeah they first of all didn't talk anything about it where'd the virus come from how'd it get there did it actually pose an existential threat would people have just gotten better from it anyway how did it get resolved once it got resolved isn't it frightening that this could just suddenly appear a virus that's doing this on a ship that mutates every 20 minutes i 
I mean, all these things that they just, right. and then they're just like, to the neutral zone, wee! <laughs> and it's like, never mind, this virus is here. That's a really good point. Yeah, they did not, like, come up with, it. there's just no curiosity, apparently, at all, no. of how this happened. Because we don't know, like, we don't know for sure what life aboard the Enterprise is like. But, you know, we always get the impression that people, like, don't really get sick. Yeah. That illness isn't really a thing. So, yeah, you think this would be, like, very concerning? Yeah. Like, what the hell? Where did this come from? And the fact that it smelled like everyone is identifying it as a Klingon smell. It's like, okay, well, was this a Klingon virus? Like, right. Or is that just a coincidence? Like, why was this brought up? And what did this have to do with the ski trip? Like, it, it just, so much of that, I yeah, was just like, what? Like, well, and I thought, too, because this was another episode where I guess we get confirmation that the holodeck does create physical matter that can exist outside the of snowball. it. snowball. Yeah. So I thought it had something to do with the snowball. and Me, like, too. Like, the liquid that the holodeck. Like melted onto Picard's uniform when, yeah. yeah. But no. I thought, like, no. Cyrus Redblock was just going to pop back in up to life and be like, ha I got you now. He's like, you think you got me, suckers? <laughs> <laughs> no one puts Cyrus Redblock in the grave. <laughs> oh. And uh, I was definitely getting, like, COVID trauma yeah. from this episode with, like, the more sick than we had beds and whatever. Yeah, and the mutation of the virus. and yeah. I was like, hmm, a little too real. But my last note is that, well, actually I have two last notes, but of course four white men would come to a planet and think they can just like take it over mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just be like, we like it here. We're just going to change the government. <laughs> I know. You're so right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And like, yes, it's an oppressive government and yes, it should change, but also the hubris, like, I would not be surprised if they went back there in 50 years and it was a patriarchy. You know what I mean? But, like, I don't think it, they were going to change it. Was it even that equality? oppressive? Like, they did nothing to unpack the oppressiveness. Like, you know, Riker makes this, makes this like, impassioned speech at the end about his platitudes mm. about revolution and about the, you know, the dissent, the rippling dissent. I'm like, they, we've, we've seen nothing. Riker saw nothing in this episode to indicate that there were Nothing. ripples of dissent in the society or that it was particularly oppressive because yeah, he never experienced it. So it's like this speech is such bullshit. Anyway. Well, I'm like, why was Ariel in love with MacGyver? Right. You know, like what was, like, what was it about their relationship? Yeah. I don't know. I think that was hinted at with Beata because she kept telling Riker that he was like different and yeah. that she was like, especially attracted to him you're not like other girls i mean <laughs> yes. other boys and i think he said something to that effect that like oh because she was like oh it's nice to be with a man who knows what he wants instead of having to be told and i think Riker said something to that effect of like well i'm not i'm highly paraphrasing but it was something like well i'm not from here like i'm from you know somewhere where like i have power mm -hmm. And she was like, that's not it. <laughs> it's like, well, obviously it is, first of all. But it's like, was that it for Ariel? Was it that? Yeah, with Ramsey. You know, like, MacGyver wasn't like other boys? Yeah, or, yeah. like, why was she so in love with him? And, like, like, was she... I guess my point is, like, was she dedicated to the cause? 
Or was she just like in love with him? Because those are two different things. Like men love women all the time. Mm -hmm. Very few men fight the patriarchy. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So like I needed more to understand why Ariel would be like actually fighting her government Mm -hmm. because of this guy. Right. While she was in power too. Right. Yeah. Because because if we're actually doing like a gender reversal situation again it is extremely hard like to the point of almost not existing that you can find a man who would be in a position of power and would be like whoa the power i have is not okay and actually i want to change the system Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know you you'll find a lot of guys who might be like oh like xyz specific instance of oppression is not okay and I don't agree with that, but you're not going to find a lot of men who are like actively in positions of power who are like, I'm a feminist and I think the system should change. And I'm like yeah. actually doing things to do that. Like it just doesn't happen. Right. So if we're looking at this situation, like it should be the same for her. So it's like, that might be an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Like what about loving him made her realize that men are human and like, like people and should have equal rights and blah, blah, blah. Cause that's like a pretty big leap for someone to take when they're in, in power and benefiting from power to that degree. But no, it just must've been his hair cut. Yep. This is MacGyver haircut. <laughs> just, yeah. And his, you know, sense of entitlement yeah. <laughs> that she found attractive. Um, and then my last, my actual last note, is did you notice how weirdly understaffed this episode was? They were trying to set the scene. Like, for instance, with Trent, he was the only guy that we actually saw yeah. on this planet. It was as if they like couldn't bring themselves to hire a few more short men. Like, where yeah. are my short kings, first of all? Yeah. And like with MacGyver, he was actually the only survivor that we saw. There were supposed to be four of them, but we never saw the other guys. Even when they brought him in for execution, it was just him and Ariel. Well, they were in that room, in the holding cell room, when Riker... Were they? Yeah, there were a few, like, randos. Because when <laughs> when Data beams out, you see a few people standing by looking. But they were, like, the, the family members. But we never actually meet the four other... Or, sorry, the three other survivors mm-hmm. of the um, of the shuttle... Yeah. Yeah, it was just weird. I think it was just another uh sign of like how uh how much the B plot like distracted mm-hmm. and how like sketched out this was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cuz it's like okay, well if there's a rebellion, if there's, you know, we should have talked to like the other women. There should have been just so much more involvement with the survivors. And also seeing other men on the planet and seeing how they're treated. And, like, there was just none that we got Trent and we got MacGyver. And that was, like, basically it. It was just very weird to me that they kept talking about these other men. Yeah. Yet when they found Ramsey, the men weren't out there with him. It was just very weird. they were not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, why are you hiding these dudes? It was a weird episode. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, it was weird. But anyway, thanks. I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have some exciting things on the docket because we have coming up season one, episode 14, 
In which talk binary to me. I know. In which there is a apparently a bit of a ship hijacking. So, you know, Mm. we'll see. Hijinks may or may not ensue. (laughs) Well, hopefully they do. Yeah. I need some hijinks after this snooze fest. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's it. We'll see you next time for our hijacked ship. Yeah. Don't forget to send in your dad jokes to sauce.sep, <laughs> S-A-U-C-E dot S-E-P <laughs> at gmail.com. I'm assuming that we haven't been receiving many emails because you guys probably got the address wrong. That's that's why I thought I'd spell yes. it out for you. So That's the only explanation. That's it. That's the only one. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll s- I love that sauce.sep is like the ultimate, it's like the meta dad joke. It is. It is. It's like the Papa, the big Papa dad joke of on the show. Yeah, and we just keep coming back to it. Well, we always will. Yep. It's our promise to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, see you next time. All right, everyone. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on our mission, comrade. To keep this galaxy-class starship chugging along, we need your help. If you like the show, consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Follow us on Instagram, share us with your friends, promote us on social media, or become a financial supporter of the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash redshirtcollective. Now, get off my ship. 